I'm really serious. I think that's a good idea. Just talking? Well, what's the show about? It's about nothing. <laughs> no story? No, forget the story. You gotta have a story. Who says you gotta have a story? And it's about nothing? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> so you're saying I go into NBC and tell them I got this idea for a show about nothing? We go into NBC. We? Since when are you a writer? What writer? We're talking about a sitcom. <laughs> you want to go with me to NBC? Yeah, I think we really got something in. What do we got? An idea. What idea? An idea for the show. I still don't know what the idea is. It's about nothing. Right. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. <laughs> so we go into NBC, we tell them we got an idea for a show about nothing. Exactly. They say, what's your show about? I say nothing. There you go. I think you may have something here. Are you doing nothing well? There's a thing or two we could learn from Italians that many of us don't have. I mean, let's be clear, there are a lot of things we could learn from the Italians in the way they live their lives. The prominence of great wine comes to mind. But one thing in particular resonates with me this week, and they call it la dolce far niente, and it means the sweetness of doing nothing. The fact that they have a saying for it when we have little concept of it should tell us something. But you might say, wait a minute, nothing? That's easy. I actually have work-life balance. I know how to call it a day, relax. I know how to kick back, let loose, take it easy, put my feet up, take a load off. I know how to do nothing. But do you really? Do you do nothing well, doing nothing is actually more difficult than it seems, especially for those of us who aren't actually practiced at it. A recent study at the research firm 538 found that Americans average 5.3 hours of leisure time per day, but more than half of that is spent in front of the television or other electronic device. In fact, we spend more time watching TV than all leisure activities combined. That's not doing nothing. Even our vacation time is dubious. We schedule things. I know people who have to-do lists for their vacation. Okay, from 10 a.m. to noon, you're going to be at the pool relaxing. Then from noon to 1, we have a yoga class. You'll have the tour. Don't be late. Then at 5 o'clock sharp, we have dinner at the Chartreuse. You need to make sure to tell us in advance whether you'll be having the fish or the steak. That's not doing nothing either. No. La dolce far niente is something quite different. Doing nothing is doing well, nothing of any consequence. I learned the importance of this years ago working with one of my spiritual mentors. If you want to fill your mind with new, creative, interesting ideas, you've got to make room. Empty it of the old ones that fill it now. The idea of La Dolce Far Niente is something I've urged my teams to do ever since I became a manager or a team lead. One of the most horrible things we've kept in business is the busy part of that word. It is this industrial revolution mindset that means that when we check into work, we start working nonstop. We must continually give the impression that we are working nonstop until we check out. That's the only time we are allowed to relax, turn off, disconnect. But even that's not good enough anymore. You have to be always on, on the hustle, instantly available. And when we are paid to be thinking, creative, dare I say, wise workers, this becomes untenable. This mindset is all around us. We are surrounded by people who truly believe that success at work, any work, is nothing but juggling the constant barrage of mental problems thrown at you. 
I'm reminded of this scene from the famous movie Reality Bites when Winona Ryder is interviewing for a job at a fast food restaurant. It's a juggling act. A juggling act? You mean like metaphorically? No. I mean you got people coming at you from the front, coming at you from the back, from the sides, people at the condiment exchange, people at the drive through kids on bikes, and they're all depending on who? Me? Hey, you got time to lean, you got time to clean, buddy, all right? You got to be 150% of your toes 150% of the time. There you go, sir. And have a tune, wiener dude. All righty. I'm gonna throw a few numbers out at you and you put them together in your head as quick as you can. Okay? Okay. 85 and 45, go. 140. Nope. 150. Nope. 160. It's not an auction. Miss Pierce, there's a reason. If you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. We've taken this to our creative jobs to an absurd level. You know you're in one of those situations when you, as a leader, walk by your team members and they immediately switch from Facebook to an Excel spreadsheet or from Reddit over to their email. That small little panic that you can see in their eyes as they switch over to being productive. We've all been on the other side of that as well. That momentary panic attack as the boss walks by and we switch our computer screen to something acceptable to the boss walking by. I hated to think that my team might have that small panic attack if I happened to see what they had on their screens, and I told them they were to schedule and prioritize downtime. I called it nothing time. Nothing time is for creative thinking, brainstorming, drawing a picture, talking with a friend, whatever they liked. The only rule is that nothing means nothing. Working on that foodie blog side hustle or updating your resume isn't nothing. That's not la dolce far niente. Nothing is nothing. And doing nothing well means truly enjoying the nothingness. The early skills of nothingness are going for a walk with no predetermined destination. It's stopping and sitting in the grass. It's drawing on a piece of paper with no goal or output at all expected. It means talking with a friend with no goal or objective or just to enjoy the conversation. The later skills are now listening to a new piece of music without multitasking. It's browsing the stores or trails or the creek with no product or activity or fitness in mind. Then moving to the higher skills, it's meditating. It's worship without guilt or direction. It's simply allowing yourself to become bored. Interestingly, what you may find is that emptying your mind and finding the sweetness of nothing actually brings mindfulness to the things that you choose to do. When you do the dishes, do only the dishes. When you drive, just drive. When you work on that project, do only that. Doing nothing can lead to a connection that fills you. As Thichinath Han said so wonderfully, meditation is not evasion. It's actually a serene encounter with the reality that is. And that's the theme of our show today, doing nothing well. It's one of the hardest skills to do well. So let's practice, get good at it. It might be one of the best skills we can bring to our lives. So when somebody says, thanks for nothing, you can say, you're welcome. And with that, it's time for me to move along with this much ado about nothing because nothing compares to you. And there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. Joe and I will be talking loud and saying nothing and earning our money for nothing because nothing is easy. You ready for a whole lot of nothing going on? Well, then let's roll. 
And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 210, the last regular episode of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, November 19th, 2017. And with me, as always, as he has been for 210 episodes, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who truly understands La Dolce Far Niente, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? You're not going to make me cry. <laughs> what's that what's that scene from jerry Maguire where he says i'm not you're, you're not gonna, gonna make me cry you're not gonna make me cry jerry you're not gonna make me cry yeah he's exactly. on the roy firestone show so like, yeah when he gets the big deal <laughs> yeah no exactly. no you were you were saying before the show is it it's exactly four years to the it day? is to the, the almost to the day november 18th 2013 was our original record date for episode number one and here we are on november 19th 2017 almost to the day four years certain the same week absolutely the same week um i'm not sure why the math doesn't quite work i haven't figured out that sort of physics yet of why it's not 52 multiplied by four but um yeah it's 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 to the week four years it's probably Pluto's fault, if I had to guess. Something about... <laughs> it's always that planet's fault. That's why it's yeah. not a planet anymore. That's right. Uh, well, That's we'll right. Uh, we promise that we'll make this one at least somewhat interesting. At least... You know, what, what are you going to do? What do we say? This is the part where the sponsor goes, please don't mess this up. Oh, please exactly. don't mess yeah. this up. Please don't mess this up. Well, you were saying before that you know you listened to episode one. And how we really haven't changed the format, but just sound, I don't know, was it not as confident or just not as... Yeah, I mean, we, you know, certainly there, we've, we've changed some of the format. We've added segments. We've taken it away. We obviously added and changed the way we introduce the show each week. Um, but the basic, you know, structure of an introduction and then talk about the news and then do with this old marketing and then get out has not really changed yep. in 210 episodes. And... When I was listening to episode number one, it was, you know, it was, the, the, well, first of all, I sound about 10 years younger, so I don't know what's been going on there, maybe a little too much wine or something, but yeah, other than that, you know, we, Hi, it's, it's, this yeah, is Robert Rose. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome to this little young marketing. Exactly. Oh, you know, God. well, I'm mean, now when I listen to myself, it's like, hey, listen, kid, let me tell you something about showbiz, you know, <laughs> let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you about show business. Show business is going to kill you. It's like an evil mistress. It (laughs) stabs you in the back at night. Well, we won't get all sentimental on this episode because we have our... We do have our finale, yeah. Our special multi-hour festival of (laughs) chit-chat. Yeah, of, of ineptitude, uh, which will run. <laughs> we, what do we decide? That should, that should be the title. That absolutely should be the title. Four years the spe- of ineptitude. Four years of ineptitude. A <laughs> special episode of ineptitude. It's a great name for a band, by the way. It is a great name. And for now, a band. four years of ineptitude. <laughs> ah! Hello, Detroit. <laughs> yeah, with opening act Nickelback. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Well, maybe we should do the news, and we've got a little That's surprise right. for the soul marketing at the end here. So we do, we'll, we do indeed. We'll All do right, well, let's get to it then. Which will open, of course, 
with our quick hits, um, which is the news that we think you should be listening to or watching or reading. It's definitely news that doesn't necessarily pertain to content marketing, but does in terms of business or the things that we are thinking about. And our first story uh, comes to us courtesy of Adweek, and we had a lot of people send this in because of you know something else that's been kind of a running joke on this show since about episode 80 or 90, I think, um, which is the idea of uh, the flawed, completely mistaken idea, I might add, um, that uh, Apple is going to purchase Disney at some point. But the article uh, headline here is why Comcast, Verizon, and Disney should and shouldn't try to acquire Fox. Um, again, this article coming from Adweek and the article opening up by saying the for sale sign is out at 21st Century Fox and several of the biggest media companies are lining up to speak with the executive chairman Rupert Murdoch and his son James and Lachlan about buying many of the company's most prized assets. Uh, less than two weeks ago, news broke that Fox had been in on again, off again talks to sell much of its company to Disney. While those negotiations had cooled at the time, it sent the industry a clear message that Fox was in play and several new companies have reportedly begun lining up to kick the tires. So what do you think? I mean, Mr. Prognosticator of, of uh, Apple's going to buy Disney. Um, what do you think about this? By the way, there's no timetable on that. I really do believe it's going to happen. Oh, come on now. I mean, years, there has to be some sort of timetable. I mean, you can't, you know, we're going to be 120-year-old men sitting on on a porch playing bocce ball and you're going to go, I told you it was going to happen. I, it's, it's an <laughs> apple. But, I know. cannot wait for that day. I, as soon as it happens, I am ringing you up by whatever device we have. <laughs> I'm going to drop my cane. Yeah. You can I'm teleport over, over to be a star tele- Trek, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, so two things. I don't, I really don't think that Comcast and Verizon are in play more than anything else is I think that regulators are going to be all over that. I think. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I I don't know. I mean, with, you know, and we'll get to this when I get to my rant, you know, a little bit later, the, we'll see, you know, the, I would have agreed with that, but you know, we'll see the FCC is just about to come down on the whole net neutrality and ownership of, of uh, percentages and the limitations that used to be in place. And we'll, and they may not have as big an issue these days. I, but I don't. I, they're so unpredictable. I mean, the, yeah. even though you would you would expect the regulatory bodies to, I guess, lean more conservative. I mean, just look at the case in the in the far. I think we talked about it on the show in the pharmaceutical industry where they shot down the the Walgreens Rite Aid deal because they yeah. thought, oh well, that that was it's not fair because it makes Walgreens the largest pharmacy, which is not true. Because you have to look at Walmart and all the grocery stores and yeah. every and everything, and they didn't do that. They looked at oh Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, and it's a great point. And that, a great so point. so what's the competitive set? So that, I think that's the yeah. question for this. Like, what is the competitive set now? If you if this happens, whatever when you're when you're a fully integrated platform like you know a Facebook or an Amazon or a Comcast or a Disney. What you know? What you're? That's such a great question. Which is what is the competitive set here? What you know? Who are who are you actually competing against? It's a it's a real question these days. Well, I think it's and it's when you have and I'm not going to put down politicians or some of these regulatory bodies, but when they're just they've historically just looked at. Um, okay, yeah. Here here here's the five competitors in this industry. Here's the top one, two, and three, and they've right. done that for the last hundred years. You can't yeah. do. It's not that easy to do that anymore. 
I mean, no. we, we've Who's talked the, about Amazon the top on three show. media companies, right? Yeah, Who are the talk- top three media companies on the planet right now, right? I mean, arguably, you know, one of those, you know, Comcast could certainly be one of those. Verizon could certainly be one of those. Um, AT&T could certainly be one of those. You could look to, you know. Amazon. Uh, Am- Amazon is certainly not, maybe not top three, but it's certainly in the top ten. Um, you know, there's, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question. Well, so the, the, the fit I think is going to be with two companies. They don't talk, they talk about Disney here and I didn't realize that if Disney does this deal with Fox, they get control over Hulu. That's a big deal. Yes, exactly. That is huge. And if you're dis, that might be the whole, there's two really important things for Disney Fox coming together. One is this whole Hulu thing that I was unaware of. And the second thing is they have control over the entire Marvel empire when it comes to movies. That's, I mean, that's maybe yeah. the most important one. <laughs> yeah. The Hulu, I think, is the, is the reason that Disney would buy Fox. Yes. To get, think- to get that. Because they're, as we've reported on this show, they have, they have talked about doing, uh, building their own streaming platform and pulling all of their stuff off of Netflix to put it on their own streaming platform, and this would immediately give them, you know, a, a you know an audience, right? It yeah. would immediately give them an audience on on a platform that is already out there and distributed. So it's a it's a natural for Disney for Comcast. It's 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 you know that's where I think your regular regulators come in and go, uh, maybe not. It's maybe a little a little much. Yeah, but I think the real fit is if you if if what they say is true that Fox and Fox News and FS1 is going to stay, I think that Amazon is the absolute slam dunk because the programming on the other platforms that with National Geographic and what's the other one FX mm-hmm. would just fit perfectly into Prime in my opinion. From I could be wrong, but that's where I would and they don't bring it up here, but I think that's the perfect play. Now, Amazon's buying a lot these days, but that's what I would go with. So I would put Disney number one, uh, number one, number two-ish, depending on where you want to put Amazon, if you even think that that's a feasible play. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's not. And let's not forget the film properties, you know, including all of the upcoming. Because you know, don't don't you know? Because the immediate reaction is to go look at all the Star Wars stuff, which of course Disney is has sort of you know subsumed. Um, but you've got, you know, the, all the avatar avatar, yeah, avatar, which is coming out, you know, which is still the number one grossing film of all time and, and, and will, um, and will likely do well again when it comes out, you know, with whatever the seven different movies that are, that are coming out. I I didn't know that. I knew another one was coming out. What are they, they're launching? Oh no, they're well, I mean, you know, this is how much you believe James Cameron, right? James Cameron always speaks in these kinds of terms, but he's talking about doing seven, you know, seven movies. This would be the second of seven that he wants to do. Oh, like a Lord of the Rings type of thing coming up. I guess. Right. I mean, you know, seven of them, you know what I mean? It's like, that's a lot. That's a, that's a lot of Avatar. That, that's, I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, we we had we did have the Emoji Movie, and I mean, so that was sort of a follow up to Avatar. I'm sorry. That is true. I had, to, <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to do that. That's so not funny, but uh, I, you know, I giggle inside. So yeah, your inner seventeen um, year old has come out. But yeah, so, that, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I have anything else besides the fact that we're going to see more of. I think they went. Even though this article doesn't go to strictly traditional media, I think that it doesn't surprise people when you throw in, you know, the Comcast and Verizons of the world. But I think it, as we go move out into the next two years, you're going to be listing different players there that you're like your Amazons, your Apples, well, your Facebooks that you wouldn't yeah, normally think. 
and I'll finish it with this, which is having done a bit of study of the history of this, and you'll you'll remember this. I used to use this um, case study in uh, in the master class. Um, but if you look back at movie studios and the studios in general, there's sort of been three major pivots in the last, call it, 100 years, right? It, I may not be getting that right. You know, 80 years for sure, but maybe 100 years. And the first pivot was when theaters began to show the moving pictures and you just had the rise of the big Hollywood studios that would also own the theaters that were shown, where the movies were shown. And you had big monopolies at that point. Um, and, 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 you know, this is where the idea of the contract player came and, and all of that that we grew up with in the 20s and 30s that really sort of looked at um, the way that movie studios and the moguls who owned them. Then you had a second one, um, where, which happened in the early 1960s, and this is the one that Theodore Levitt made famous in his paper, Marketing Myopia, where he talked about what television was actually doing to the theaters and the studios in the time. And it was a really interesting pivot that had to be made. It was when all of the moguls sort of lost control of their movie studios, and you had the big conglomerates. You had Gulf um, Systems come in and bought Paramount, which is we covered on this show as a as as as, an, as you know as one of the this old marketing examples. You had companies like GE could get into the business. You had uh, Sony get into the business. You had all of these big, huge multimedia conglomerates get into the business and take over um, the movie studios. And it was a, and it was also the rise of all of these disruptive new artist owns it was the rise of united artists it was the rise of all of these independently owned movie studios that would you know break out directors like martin scorsese and steven spielberg and george lucas and all these wonderful directors that we know today then you had another and arguably now you have another pivot that's happening today where all of these studios that have grown up and become these megalopolis you know sort of corporations are now going through another disruptive phase as big companies, distribution companies, the Comcast, the Verizons, the AT&Ts, the infrastructure telecommunications companies are now taking over the content world and, and basically publishing up, you know, and gobbling up all these content companies. And so I think just to your point, this is, you know, we're at the, we're at the cusp of a, what the media landscape is going to look like for the next, you know, 40 or 50 years. I totally agree. And I'll just cap it off with I just while you were talking, I had this other thought. Uh, Jeff yeah. Bezos loves going to awards programs where they win Emmys and stuff. Yeah. So if he can start winning, if he has more of an opportunity to do that and actually win Oscars and things, uh, I mean, I, now now I think it's a slam dunk for Amazon. Tap. Yeah, absolutely. He loves oh, yeah. it. You know, you know, you saw him at the Emmys. He yeah. was leaning into that. He yeah. loved it. Absolutely. Yes. Wants, and they want an Oscar. So. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. All right, let's move along to our next quick hit story, which is, this is just an odd, odd, yeah. odd story. Um, maybe fitting for our last uh, normal episode here. This one, um, by the way, hat tip to Stephanie Stahl, our wonderful general manager at CMI, for forwarding this to me, although we had a couple of people forward it over. Um, and I won't read anything into that, Steph, that you're weird like that and found this article. Um, anyway, the article comes to us Medium from Medium. It's a Medium blog. James Bridal is the writer here. He is the writer, and he calls himself a writer and artist concerned with technology and culture. And as he opens up the piece, he says, I usually write on my own blog, but frankly, don't want 
what I'm talking about here anywhere near my own site. Please be advised this essay describes disturbing things and links to disturbing graphic and video content. You don't have to read it and are advised to take caution in exploring further. So, of course, that gets your attention. This is a post that went a little bit viral last week. Um, The title of the post is Something is Wrong on the Internet. And I have to say, this just... I mean, I went down the rabbit hole here, Joe. I, I, I watched a lot of this stuff, and it was, it just fascinates me. I, you know, and weirdly, ironically, we used to use one of the examples that he uses here as a content marketing example in the masterclass, and we'll talk to that in a second. Yeah, but exactly, this is just a fascinating look into the way that content is being created and amplified in a way that is both fascinating, disturbing, and just really interesting at the same time. What did you think about this? As I told you before the the program, I don't know what to think of this. I really, it, it's almost <laughs> like you just have to tell people to read it. it the whole idea is, is that the system of tagging keywords, automatically generated content is proliferating at a rate that is seemingly uncontrollable. Now, the author here talks about this in terms of children's programming. Yeah. So it is disturbing from that standpoint. And I did watch a good portion of this last one, which was called Buried Alive, which is basically uh, Spider-Man and Hulk and the Joker. Uh, it, it Like, almost... Doing it's computer generated and yeah, it's doing, all it's all generated out of a computer. They're right? doing the, the, really strange things. Yeah. and you're just watching it like I can't believe. But you're listening to it. It's sort of like there's lullabies going on in the back, so you could see small kids that would watch this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So when when you when you read this article and you think, oh my god, I think my kids watched some of this stuff, and then how. Maybe it started as a good idea, like all content generally does, and then somebody picks up on it and says, oh, this could be a thing, and there's a, there's revenue behind it. But I think there's something more to it, and that's what he leads to. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with just children's programming, but if you look at the way uh, automated content is being created and put together and how it doesn't take a lot of resources, and then you're taking you're, you're trying to take advantage of something that's gone viral or has a following on the internet, and then you're just letting that run its course, you get all types of weird programming that kids are getting into in this case, but that he says very well, and that, that was my idea as I was going through it. I'm sure it was yours, and I want to get your take. But you're thinking about this as, oh, man, this is really in play when we talk about the scandals that happen around our political process and fake news. Absolutely in play with fake news. Absolutely in play with who are the people that are behind uh, helping to create or um, or put some. I don't know what the word is. uh, Give some life to certain factions in this world. You could definitely see this being a part of it. So, long story short, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know how to be helpful to our audience listening. I think you almost just have to know that this is going on. And this is just something from a content uh, consumption standpoint that we have to deal with. And I don't know where it takes us. I think it's it's even it's not even a big brother thing. This is a whole different thing where where we we could be creating some deranged people because of the content that they're viewing. And we we don't even know it. It's like it's happening right in front of our eyes. Yeah, it's. 
Yeah, it's a spectrum for sure. And just to sort of, you know, so that the people who haven't read the article or don't know, you know, just to sort of give a level set, I guess, even, is what he's talking about here is a spectrum. And he starts out innocently enough, and this is, you know, sort of getting to the 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 the, the example that we used to use. So the example, the first example that one of the first examples that he uses is this um, this thing called Little Baby Bum, which is nursery rhymes set to animation. And we and as I mentioned, we used to talk about this because this was started by a couple who was looking for nursery rhymes for their kids. Um, and just couldn't find it. And so they hired this musician to, you know, create little nursery rhymes, little, you know, like the busts on the wheels go round and round, round and round. I mean, and then what they did was they made that an hour and a half long. Like here's an, it's a 90 minute version of somebody singing the bus on, you know, the wheels on the bus go round and round. And then they just have this weird little animation running with it. And it, you know, as the, as he calls out, it's the seventh most popular channel on YouTube. They've got 500 videos and 11.5 million subscribers and 13 billion views. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's bigger than Huge. many movies, you know, bigger than many mainstream television shows. And so it then starts to go through, he starts talking about all of these, sort of artificially generated, in some cases, AI, quote unquote, generated, algorithmic, certainly generated content. And it starts to get really into this weird place fast, like where AI is generating based on just keywords that are being generated and harvested t-shirts, right? So the famous, you know, keep calm, you know, keep calm and carry on uh, sort of idea you know, there are there. You can now go buy on you know Amazon. Quite frankly, a shirt that says "Keep calm and rape a lot," and 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 you're just like, wow, that is horrible. Who would ever do that? But of course, nobody did. It was an art artificially generated content or artificially generated copy that's just applied to the front of a blank T-shirt. And theoretically, you can go buy that and you know pay your fifteen bucks to get that T-shirt sent to you, which is just a very, very weird place to be. And then it goes on and on and to, to these artificially generated cartoons, which are being generated, like what Joe was talking about, where you've got these weird, you know, like Spider-Man and alligators and sharks and all this stuff that are just generated by a computer and set to this very oddly, you know, <laughs> very oddly, you know, nursery rhyme. So for us and as an adult, it's like the creepy clown video, right? I mean, you're looking at something that is just as creepy as all get out, but we're not the target audience here. I mean, we're, you know, this is this is generated for kids and for young people and it's a very disturbing thing. It's a, and so I I'm like you. I don't know what to make of it. I certainly see us going down this road from a content generation standpoint, but this is also something that companies are going to do too. I mean, you know, as we get further into AI and more algorithmically generated content, this is this is a place that's going to get weird for marketing people too. I think it's going to you know yeah. the, just the need to produce is going to you know provide businesses with the excuse to experiment and go down this road. So I I think we're at the very beginnings of it, and I think it's 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 you know interestingly, I think it will be in many ways as we've talked about on this show a lot up to marketers and up to us to actually create the atmosphere that we want to live in, create the world that we want to live in. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's as simple as that. And, and the more we reward that kind of stuff, the more encouragement there will be to, you know, to, uh, 
to watch it. It's a it's a, it's yeah. a really interesting thing. It's like uh, I don't know what analogy to use, but it's like a first indicator of when. Remember when vinyl sales of records just ticked down and digital sales just ticked up, and it was your yeah. first indication that something was going on. That's yeah. what this article feels to me. It's yeah. like this is really gonna get strange and weird because the barriers to ent- for entry to do this are none. Well, you know what it makes it reminds me of very much is I don't know if you remember this, but but the you know when I was a kid. The, and cable TV first came on air, and you had you know a hundred channels or a hundred and fifty or two hundred channels, and there was nothing on literally to quote the Bruce, Bruce Springsteen song, and so getting a cable access show was simple. I mean, you know, it literally was Wayne's World, right? You could go down to the, your local cable network to wherever your head end was. And you could apply, and there were some weird, weird, weird people doing cable access shows back in the you know in the early '90s, and you could see some just bizarre stuff, um, you know, and and some of it, quite frankly, racist. Some some of it, quite frankly, just you know, just totally off the wall. Some of it sexual. Some of it, you know, and and it was just a very odd time, and it makes me feel like that, like that did when you know where it was like this very. Unre- unregulated, unsupervised, un you know, um, you know, very you know, unobservable um, universe where th- the weirdness was allowed to sort of foster, and it's I think we're in that mode again where people are discovering that the you know the the dark corners of the internet are you know really open for just anything, and you just if you throw enough stuff up there, something might hit and the cost is so low. Why not? Right. You know, why not do it? Well, I think that's it, right? This, the internet has always been a play, place where dark content yes, like this flourishes. This is yes, not anything right. new. The thing is, is it's becoming more prevalent and it's coming out of the darkness. That's, yeah. that's what we're seeing right now. And as he ends the article, he says, the system here is broken. You've got Google and Facebook just leaning into this stuff because a lot of it is, you know, some of their algorithms are helping to get this content found. That's right. Yeah, exactly. I think that's where you're going to have to get to a point where something happens and somebody's going to be outraged and then something might be done. But my concern is is that this is sort of, um, you know, rolling and rolling the snowballs getting bigger and and we might not be able to stop it at some point so if you i guess listening to this if you read it you at least can have some ammunition when you look at some other content and can see some of the stuff coming that's right that's right yeah i mean it's just really interesting and so i think as you said this very well as we were prepping for the show you said this is just an article that everybody should read yep um and and just understand that it's out there not just from a business standpoint from but from a Parent Personal, standpoint, parent, from a citizen yeah. standpoint, you know, from just knowing what's going on on the internet standpoint, it's just really interesting. All right, moving along here to our in-depth uh, segment, we have one story to talk about here for the show, and this story that we'll talk about a little bit more in depth about content marketing and how it's being applied to the business um, comes to us courtesy of Digiday.com, and it is holiday cards and house ads. The role of publishers, content studios, is ever expanding. The article opens up by saying, on any given day, Time Inc.'s branded content studio, The Foundry, is churning out campaigns for advertisers. 
to the tune of more than 1,000 over the past two years. But the studio is also doing in-house work, whether it's designing materials for its new pet owner subscription service, Pet Hero, which we talked about on this show and we talk about in the class, or creating animated GIFs to promote subscriptions to people. It's an example of how publishers' branded content studios have expanded beyond their origins. The New York Times' 160-person T-brand studios used to be just about selling branded content to advertisers. Now it also does partnerships to fund editorial content like video and podcasts, and pitches agency-like services that let the Times compete for advertisers' budgets that may not include any Times media at all. As, t- as T-Brand Studios' creative talent improves, Sebastian Tomich, SVP of Advertising and Innovation at the Times, sees it pitching against outside creative agencies for the Times' own brand campaign work. That is a very interesting thing to me. Um, what did you think about this? I, have, I definitely have a take on this. What did you well, think? Well, you've been – I mean, we've both been talking about this for a while, but didn't, what was it? Maybe about six months ago, there was an article where um, you were saying – that the new agencies are really going to come from the publishing side. This sort of, yes. uh, correct? I, I don't want to put yes, words in absolutely. Mouth, no, that's I, absolutely, yeah. I've, that. I've been talking about this for, a, that this is, this train has been coming for a long time. Absolutely. So th- there's a couple things, a couple takes here. First of all, a, I don't want to say that it's always this way, but if you focus your time and energy on reaching a specific audience, you should know that audience better than anyone else. So that means that when a brand come that you generally has done advertising with you says, Hey, would you do other things for me? You have a leg up over any other agency because you should know that audience better than anyone. Yep. That's right. Hands down. We talk about it all the time on the show. That's yeah. what one of the benefits to content marketing is to under you understand the audience inside and out and you can figure out new revenue generate uh, revenue opportunities from that. So and you know, we've talked about, I've talked about forever, and I've consulted with agencies to say, if you want to be the leading agency in, let's say, financial services, you really need to have your own audience that in, that includes those people. You're basically creating a media company and also offering services. So I think that what happens is you're seeing media companies offer services. You are seeing agencies that are now considering getting into the media business. So that's all, and I want to get your take here, but then I'm going to leave you with this one. I don't know if this is good for media companies because in these examples, what they're not just talking about general agency-type services. They're basically talking about anything that's not editorial-driven content efforts or in that production process. They're throwing it over to the, to the brand studio or the services division, and... They're doing everything. And yes. the problem with that is you're going to start doing some things that aren't profitable. You're going to get lost in what the vision of this whole thing was in the first place. And let's be realistic. A lot of these companies, like the New York Times, they're worried about their valuation. The more services revenue that you start to generate, it, in theory, it should bring down the valuation of your company because you have less uh, if you, when you have direct audience revenue in the form of events or subscriptions, always more valuable if you're going to sell the company versus services revenue will always be the case. Yes. So that's that's one that's there's some downsides to this as well. So if I'm an agency person, I'm a little bit scared. I have or I should, hopefully you should have been for a while. But if I'm also a media company, I'm like, be careful, tread lightly, focus on the things that you can really provide value. And you might not want to do ad creation 
or or some other things that uh, you get bogged down with and busy with where you're really right. busy, but you're not really adding a lot of value to the business itself. Yes. I, you know, and so, I mean, just to your point, right, it, it, it is it is astounding to me that we have not seen the other way yet, really. I mean, we've talked a, bit, a little bit on this show that we have not seen the agencies. To me, it makes so much more. I mean, look, you and I, I mean, CMI is the quintessential uh, uh, example of this where, you know, when you and I, you know, when when you when when CMI was a, a a mere glimmer in your eye, and I, you know, you bought me that wonderful bottle of wine in Chicago in 2008, and you started telling me about the vision and all that kind of stuff. The first revenue model for CMI was services. It was it was helping, you know, and 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 it quickly yep. went from there into content very quickly. And we had you and I had many conversations about the about how we were going to keep services a very small and manageable part of the business because it would never be valued as much as the rest. And so, from my perspective, it has always been the optimal way to go to go from the agency side into the content side, and 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 grow that part of the business. Why we haven't seen more of that to this, I still can't. I don't. I have no idea. What we're seeing the age that what we're seeing is the media companies go into the agency services, and that to me is the you know that's the heroin right for these for these for these media companies. Just to your point, it's really easy to get addicted to that services revenue. It's mm-hmm. a real easy thing to get addicted to, and it's a really hard thing to break yourself of if once it starts to go a little south. And any agency will tell you that is that, you know, it's a it's you know, it's a hard business to run. It's a very hard business to run. So I, I think you're exactly right. I think it's it's something that media companies need to be very wary of if, as they try and grow. However, there may be something a little different about this coming at it with a content base, right, with the base of content that like with a T-Brand Studios having that base there may be a little may help the you know what i mean it may help them to 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 scale that in a smarter way so i I, here's what i will say well so that's a comment to what you were talking about but i'll tell you this just as a data point here the article here talks about um food 52 uh which is a site that started in 2009 and it's a wonderful site by the way if you haven't seen it it's for you know it's home cooks basically um, and it's a great, you know, it's got you know, cookbooks and it's got an online shop and it's got advertisers. It's, got, it's a wonderful site that was, you know, it, there you go. It's, it's your content ink model yep. writ large. I will tell you that two and a half, almost three years ago, I spoke with two clients, two, two, uh, two companies who were clients who were looking at acquiring 52, both of them looking at acquiring f- food 52 had made you know, outreaches to them and, and, and looked at that and said that might be an interesting acquisition for us for as a content marketing platform. Neither of them, neither of them moved on that um, and, 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 and took that. And by the way, neither of them acquired either any company. They, they basically, they, they couldn't let the innovation, you know, get in the way of, of what they were doing and, and, and which was quite frankly, not a lot and, and, and didn't do anything. And here we are, whatever we're talking about, Two years, two and a half years later, this article speaking about Food 52, now a 41-person team that has its own content studio that's creating content for brands, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, 
it's not only an example of killing marketing, but it could have been an example of killing marketing for a brand should it have chosen to move um, whatever it was two and a half years ago. I just think the, the, the time is nigh, as they say, and, and any brand that's looking at what we just talked about with the evolution of media and Disney and Fox and all of that and isn't thinking about acquiring a media brand is just kidding themselves. They've, it's, it's, I mean, I don't know why it's so obvious to me and maybe, maybe, maybe I am, you know, sort of tilting at windmills here and maybe I am the Don Quixote of this whole thing. To me, it just seems like such an obvious thing. And if I was a big brand, I'd be looking so hard at this right now from an acquisition standpoint. No, you're a couple months. I mean, I say it all the time. How long have we been talking about this? I gave a speech, uh, this a couple months ago to some CMO level folks at large brands. And I basically said, if you're all not looking at acquiring media companies in your particular spaces, you're, you're crazy. Yeah. You're nuts. Like you are not doing your job as a chief marketing officer. If this isn't one of your core strategies for the year. And yeah. I, like, and I said the same thing. Nobody's talking about this. Like, what am I missing? This is it. This is this is the time. And in two years, three years, you might be too late because your competitor will probably eat your lunch. So yes, yeah, there you have it. Whatevs. <laughs> whatevs. Speaking of whatevs, yeah, yeah this yeah. isn't a whatev. This is. I mean, these guys have to. Ha- I mean, there's there's some sort of entry in the record book or log book or trivia. Trivial Pursuit version of this old marketing. Who's the last? Who was the last sponsor the last in the last sponsor. episode that uh, was there? And we have a wonderful one to sort of finish off with. Yes, that distinction goes to our good friends at Storyblocks. We want all our listeners to go to storyblocks.com slash CMI to get all the stock images, video, and audio you can imagine for just $149. That's storyblocks.com slash CMI. You can download anything from thousands of images, videos, and tracks and unlock discounts on millions and millions of more. You don't want to compromise your creativity due to you budget. Really don't. And I think this is where this is absolutely where it comes in. And if you are like, hey, that image is going to cost too much or the rights to that audio piece, uh, we don't we can't uh, we can't do that. It's out of our range. You don't have to worry about that anymore because you have Storyblocks. You can get your high quality stock images, video and audio for a fraction of the cost. You can download basically all the stock your heart desires uh, from their member library. They have 400,000 images, 150,000 videos, and over 100,000 audio clips. And all content is royalty-free, so you can use it for commercial and personal projects. New content is added regularly, so there's always something fresh to download. Just go to storyblocks.com slash CMI. Um, get the... Uh, Get the stock imagery, the videos, the tracks that you need that, um, you know, your content looks, sounds, and feels as professional, more professional than anything else out there. Storyblocks.com slash CMI. There you go. There it is. There it is. That was was succinct and to the point. That's it. That's all. There's not much more to say. (laughs) It's just like, go do it. (laughs) What's your problem? I mean, I've been talking. This is a fourth episode. If you haven't done it by now, I don't know what your problem is. That should be their new tagline. Storyblocks. Go do it. What's your problem? <laughs> you know what? That's not bad. That is really... I want to yeah. get t-shirts. Go do yeah, it. If you haven't done it by What's now. What's your problem? Yeah, if no, you haven't if you done haven't, it by now. No, it's this one. If you, you haven't stupid. done it by now, there might be something wrong with you, man. <laughs> 
What you, what's wrong oh with you? God. What is wrong with you? You story uh, blacks, man. What's wrong with you? What is okay. wrong with you? It's underlined. Okay, now let's move <laughs> along to your favorite part of the show, our last rants and rave section, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we're doing nothing or feels like we're doing that sweetness of nothing. Um, and let's see, I uh, let's see, uh, you have. This old market. Well, sort of. It's like, yeah, sort of, right. So you're going to, you th- go first. You go I thought first. It made, yeah, I thought it made sense that, that, of course, since, that you go, yeah. I've rarely done any of this old marketing. Yeah. You at least give me the last one. So I'm going to do, um, I've got a rave here. And this is from the Chicago Tribune. It's a uh, good front, hat tip to our good friend Bosak's uh, Publishers Experiment with Audiobook Only Productions. Now, what I got out of this, first of all, you got to read it. It's got a lot of um, uh, actually good research from our uh, friend Tom Webster's company, Edison Research, in here. Absolutely. That alone makes it worth reading. But um, basically, they're talking about the trend, the change in audiobook publishing, where you've got these uh, traditional audiobook producers, and they, they interview Hachette Audio in this, that they're desperate for audio content. And what we're seeing is a possible change in the model. So basically what they're doing is they're going out, Hachette Audio is going out to their current um, uh, their current writers who have done audiobooks, and they're saying, hey, do you have any stories that you didn't publish? Do you have anything laying on the side? Because we're so desperate for audio content, and the demand is there. We need to record some stuff. So what they're doing is they're starting to record these things first, and if these things take off and they do really well in audio format, they're then launching the print and the ebook. So it's exactly the opposite of what we've seen historically, where you generally, I mean, uh, I mean, look what we we did with Killing Marketing. We basically wrote the book, and then from the book you create the ebook and you create the the audiobook. We just happened to we just happened to launch it all at the same time. The difference here is that you're just going to audio first and you're seeing how that takes. And I think for anyone listening, this is an opportunity because we've been talking about it on the show for a long time. There's a huge opportunity, not just with audiobooks, just with audio content, because it's the one area where people can actually multitask if they're listening to something. It's the only thing you can't you can do yep. and actually do something else at the same time. So we're seeing this boom in the direction they talk about. Uh, here, audiobook publishers saw the third consecutive year of sales growth nearing 20%, with revenue more than $2.1 billion in 2016, which is all fine. But the opportunity is not only for traditional audiobook publishers, it's for brands as well to look at audio as a possibility and not just think, well, we have to do that in digital form first, or we have to do that in video, or we have whatever it is. You could actually come out. Uh, and launch an audio product. So I, I just thought that this was interesting and how you're going to see more books go direct to audio. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that that's what Andy Weir's new book does. I think that they, that he launched um, his new book. I forget the name, but that was the, Andy Weir's The Martian Author. And uh, he launched a... Um, a uh, a partnership deal with Audible. To, oh, and I think, Ros- right? I think Rosario Dawson reads it, which is worth probably just downloading it just for that sake. Um, but yeah, but we're starting to see these kinds of things happen. So I think this is the start of a trend. Uh, there's enough data here that says that this is this has legs to it. And the article pretty much says that there's audiobooks that are just... They they don't even have enough content for the opportunity out there. So that if that tells if that tells you anything, 
that says, well, maybe there's an opportunity where you can cut through the clutter more easily on this audio channel. So there you go. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, wow. I love that. I, I, I mean, that's it. This is it. Yeah. Like, I mean, why would yeah. you, yeah. Like, what's well, wrong with you, man? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. And just, just do well, it. a perfect, a perfect one for us to be, you know, for the last audio podcast that we're doing together. <laughs> yeah. Lots of opportunity at audio. Yeah. Hey guys, we're done. Hey, hey, by the way, we're finished, right? You know? we're but you know, <laughs> which what's we're interesting not, is, by the way, well, which we're not, there's, there, there are things in the works. Let's just put it that way. But they, the article at the end talks about how. You know, and generally an audio book is anywhere from, let's say, uh, nonfiction would be five to six hours to 10 hours to up to, I just listened to Origin by Dan Brown. That thing was 19 hours long. Yeah, right. What they're talking about here is um, some of these things are two to three hours long and and people are paying for it. Yeah, so. that's, I mean, you know, well, we talked about, well, we talked about the album idea. So there's a, yeah. there's a whole, Launch. there's a whole there's lots of stuff to fun stuff to talk about there for there sure. Things there are things there are things right. there are things to be said. Uh, All right, do you have what do you have? A rant, Hill. rave? What do you got? Um, I do. I have a I, well. I have a. I don't know if it's a. I mean, it's commentary. It's a call to action, if you will. So call, call to it arms. a rave or a rant okay. or whatever. I mean, you know, I've been on my soapbox for the last couple of years on net neutrality, and and then I have a bit of a, a rave about an article just because I didn't want to be completely. Um, you know, negative on the on the last show here, but <clears throat> so the net neutrality thing, my rant or commentary, if you will, is get involved. If you've you've heard me on this show, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you've heard me rant and rave about this before. Um, last week, it became official. Uh, the Verizon lawyer that is now the FCC chairman. So there's absolutely no conflict of interest there. <laughs> I just don't <laughs> see any at all. Um, Ajit Pai has uh, scheduled the vote to overturn net neutrality on December 14th. So oh, um, it is time if you if you want to get involved, if you care at all about the open internet and all of that, is the it is your last chance to to really get in on this. Um, you've got about a month left to call your senator, call your, um, you know, your Congress critter, uh, whoever it is you feel like calling to actually do this. My, my two resources for you, um, is one called fight for the future, which is a fight for where you can get involved. You can get news, you can donate, you can get information about how to call your, uh, your congressperson to, to do that. And then the other one is of course the EFF, the electronic frontier foundation, which is EFF.org, which has a lot of really good information and in, in, about that. So, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's one of those things where we, you know, I have no idea if any of this, they've gotten 20 million comments, in the last few months over over this and the vast majority of them are uh, in favor for keeping the internet open and neutral and making sure that all companies have to treat it like that. And as the media landscape changes, man, is this going to be an important thing going in the future unless you feel like going, hey, yeah, you want access to Hulu? That's going to be a little more than access to Facebook. Oh, you want access to CMI or Content Marketing World or This Old Marketing? Well, sorry, that's on a different plan and you're going to have to pay more for that. So... That's and if we don't believe that's coming, trust me, it is coming. That that if 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 that goes down, anyway. So enough about that. 
My Rave um, is another site, uh, or excuse me, another article from Medium on the same site, medium.com. Big hat tip here to Bruce Rowe um, for sending this over. This was a really wonderful piece. It has very little to do with content marketing, but it has everything to do with content. And the title of the post is The Best Sales Pitch I've Seen All Year. And this was a sales pitch given at um, uh, our uh, friends at OpenView. Uh, you know the OpenView folks, Joe. Oh, yeah, sure. And... Um, <clears throat> And basically, they were they were um, having these startups give pitches, and there's a startup called Drift. Um, do you know this startup, Drift? I do not. I'm not familiar. It's with like Drift. a it's like a dashboard or uh, shows. Um, it's got live chat and tools for. It's basically for marketing people and for salespeople to have sort of a Slack kind of interface or or you know web based sort okay. of collaboration platform. And they've just gotten a, a recent round of Series B, but 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 more importantly, this sales pitch was given by the CMO of Drift. And the article is basically a breakdown or a you know dissection of the sales pitch and what made it so great. And I just thought it was wonderful because it covers off all these amazing storytelling things, you know, storytelling attributes without calling them storytelling that really, really get to the heart of telling a great story in a pitch. And so if you're looking for another lens of looking at how to create a great PowerPoint or a great pitch, this is a this is a wonderful one just to look at as sort of a a dissection or a and the anatomy of or however you want to think of it of a wonderful sales pitch you know starting off with huge undeniable change that creates the stakes putting people in it making about it telling the you know about a person not a thing you know telling a story about a person naming the enemy and 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 really getting into the details of this and just a great article a must read um, that I can't recommend highly enough in, in terms of if you put together pitches for your for your business so there you go excellent very good yeah that's uh that leads right into Dun dun dun! The most, the most meta, the most old marketing, yes, ever. Because yes. for our final this old marketing, you had the fantastic idea that we should do this old marketing. That's right, right. And I think that's what yeah. we're gonna do. So our final this. Old, by the way, um, this old marketing just by itself in in our efforts to great help from our wonderful audience and and the CMI team for sending us a lot of these. This has fueled so much content on the CMI site. I mean, just oh, yeah. if you just look at just part of the daily editorial process for and, and how that's been integrated into the rest of the platform, just incredibly successful. So, but we just thought it was it was really important to talk about what what has this old marketing done uh, as a this old marketing example as an example of content marketing out there that's worked really well. So as you said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, we just completed four years almost to the day. Uh, we've on our, obviously this is number 210 and right. you want to say, well, what, what has that done for us? So since the launch in November of 2013, the podcast has been downloaded nearly 2 million times from listeners in 200 countries. That's so hard for me to believe. Yeah. It's um, amazing. While generating approximately a half million dollars in direct revenue, so right there, there's five hundred thousand reasons 
just from from a return standpoint to do the podcast. But I think it's it's the most important thing. There's there's some other things that I, I want to get your take on, Robert. Here because you've been obviously wait wait hold on go back to that revenue number. What, wait, wait, uh, when did that happen? And and where's my check? <laughs> exactly exactly yes we've been hiding that from you the entire time oh but i ba- gotcha all right yeah but basically uh you know uh, depending on the year when we started you know you're, yeah. you're looking at you're looking at a hundred thousand plus per year depending on the amount because we do one or two sponsors for every episode that's right but i think if you look at the other benefits you know those marketers that listen so all of you that listen to this old marketing on a regular basis you are cmi's true fans um, and we know this because if you listen to this old marketing, and this is from the data that we collect all the time, and the CMI team does a great job of uh, putting this stuff together, we know that you're more likely to come to our, you know, our pinnacle event, our main revenue generator, content marketing world. Uh, we know that you're more likely to attend one of our master classes. By the way, uh, we have still five left in the year. So if you would like to come and visit us in uh, one of the five cities coming up, we'd definitely like to see you. Uh, you're more likely to purchase training. You're more likely to attend our webinars. Uh, you're more likely to engage in our content and talk about us on social media. Um, so it's it it's amazing that, and I well I guess the the one thing that I do want to say in the caveat that I think was successful for us almost immediately, Robert, be, being getting traction as an audience, is that CMI already had an established audience. So when, when I give advice to others that are thinking about doing a podcast and they don't have, let's say, uh, an email subscriber list or some database that they can send people to, they already don't have a trusted relationship with an audience, it's very difficult to start that fresh. I mean, we've seen people like John Lee Dumas and Pat Flynn have started, uh, kind of accomplished building an audience podcast first. But it is very much a rarity. It's almost a diversification point. And I think because this old marketing was a diversification from CMI's main platform, which was the blog, we were able to get traction almost immediately. And and we knew after the first couple episodes that this thing was going to be a core part uh, of what CMI did for a long, long time. So, um, soup, you know, I... Of course, we just talked about, you know, in in the rave a second ago how important audio content is. And I would say if you have your other channels that are set and you have an email newsletter and you have a let's say a great blog or a great video and then you want to diversify and create something different on an audio channel, I think there's an amazing opportunity to do that. But I don't know if you what your take is, Robert, if you would agree with me, but I I it's almost it's um I don't know if you should build a platform somewhere else before you launch the podcast because you have to market it. If you don't market your podcast, nobody is going to listen to this. So you have to put a lot of ad revenue behind it or you have to have an audience already, which is what we did with this whole marketing. Yeah. I think that's I think that well that's the balance, right? I mean, it's sort of a, you know, it's the sort of sine wave if you will of 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 looking at where you know, if you were to start a podcast, it's easier and less expensive if you have an existing audience. If you don't, it's going to be more expensive or take longer. Yeah, and that's just sort of the the balance of of you know a, you know above or below the line of where you are in terms of where you're starting. Um, that you'll you know just it, basically it's just setting realistic expectations. Um, you know, and I think I think when you look at it in net over the four years. The thing that I've definitely noticed is, you know, we have 
we have steadily grown audience over the last f- three years, I'd say. You know, we were flat for a while, and then we then we we caught a groove, and we just sort of started up from there. Like if you look at the graph, and we started adding audience, and we've had spikes and dips and along yep. the way, and some weirdness from the way Apple measures things, and and. You know, and all of that kind of stuff, uh, you know, all along the way. But, but generally speaking, the trend has been up. And, and you, what you've seen is, is that I have noticed sort of at different points, and I don't know what specifically those points are, like what numbers they were, but I, I, I can distinctly remember over four years that at specific points, I would notice it. Right. In other words, I remember the week or the, you know, two weeks or the month where, I didn't see anybody sort of sharing the stories or sharing the, you know, sharing the podcast. And then all of a sudden it kind of started to go, right? And now it's, you know, and I was like, oh, wow, we, you know, when we publish, there's a lot of people sharing that content and we actually get a lot of traffic from it and we get a lot of interest in it. And, and then I also remember the point where we started getting a lot of input from the audience. We started having this wonderful conversation with the audience and they started using the hashtag and started actually conversing with us and saying what they wanted to hear on the show and really, you know, those kinds of things. And I also noticed when, you know, when we, I remember when we started to regularly get sponsors and the sponsors were happy because of the amount of traffic we were feeding over to them and, and those sorts of things. And so those pivot points they didn't just sort of evolve slowly over time. They kind of happened, right? They were events that happened um, along just making sure we were continuing to do the work. And so it, I guess my ultimate point there is is that what I chalk up to success of this thing is our absolute laser focus on never missing a week. And we didn't. We didn't miss one week in 210 episodes. I think the um, only thing that we did was... A couple of days late. They, there, they were, there was, we were one, yeah, we were one or two days late uh, yeah. right at the beginning because I was having production problems. Yeah, and that's the only thing. We never missed a week, so we were consistent. The format was consistent. We People knew what to expect. They, you know, we had, you know, we had bad shows, we had good shows, we had amazing shows. Um, I don't know if we ever had any disaster shows, but, 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 but the, but the point is, is that we were consistent week after week after week. So the audience knew what to expect. And we became what you talk about all the time when you give advice to clients and, and, and class attendees. We became appointment, you know, content, right? We became dependable that, when you saw us in your inbox or you saw us, you know, the new episode, you went, I know exactly what I'm going to get. And I'm going to listen to that because I, I know the quality is going to be good. And that's the that's the magic. There is no other secret sauce other than that is the consistency is so much a big piece of this. And that's and that's um, yeah. And that's what I would chalk it up to. And the yeah, fact that we actually can demonstrably shown that it moved the business demonstrably show that it actually provided revenue and profit to the business and demonstrably show that we actually created impact with our customers because they actually care that we're going away. And again, just thank you so much for all the wonderful notes that we've gotten privately and publicly about how um, annoyed you are that we're leaving. Um, You know, it's been a, it's, it's been an amazing, it's been an amazing run. I think the all, all correct. I totally agree with you. I think the thing that, hit me the hardest was probably oh sometime in in late 2014 we were probably on it for about a year yeah and as as i would go out and give keynote speeches it used to be 
Joe, we love the blog on CMI. We, mm-hmm. Joe, we loved your loved your book. Um, Joe loved content marketing world, and and it's not that they didn't love those things, but the first thing that they would say is Joe loved the podcast. Absolutely, and first that's all, thing. That's always. and that's all me. That's really just all. It's so true. <laughs> I was nothing until just, you came along. That's right. Uh, yeah, just remember that as you're as you're as you're oh, sailing off into the quietude of. La dolce far niente, or la dolce far niente. You, 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 you basically need to remember that I'll be, I'll be there. I'll be on your little shoulder, going, "Hey, it's me. Remember me? Hey, it's how me. could I forget? Remember how, me? No, no, no. It's gonna be." <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's just been it's been a heck of a ride. Obviously, we have one more uh, episode yeah, to go. Our big and- grand finale where we'll where we'll talk about nothing in the news. Where we'll talk no about all sorts of wonderful things that have brought us where we are. You have sent over some wonderful topics. Keep come bringing those on, by yes. the way, because we'd love to hear more about what you want to hear about in our in our uh, in our grand finale. Yeah, we already have uh, um, quite a few people that have sent yeah. suggestions in. So use the hashtag this old marketing and or send us the email this old marketing at contentinstitute.com and. Um, we can uh, we can start putting that together, and I guess what what Robert and I have already already promised to do is we'll just keep answering the questions until we're out of questions. Yeah, we'll just we'll, we're just going to take. A, I don't know when I forgot if we're going to record on the eleventh or when we're going to do it. December eleventh. Yeah, I believe. But we're just December we're 11th. just gonna we're just gonna sit down. You know, you'll have some wine. I'll have some some uh, some vodka or something like that. Yeah. And we're just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna answer all it's your gonna questions. Be, it's going to be and good, have a yeah. hoot nanny. Yeah. So, yeah, so that will be the week, folks. December 11th, we will record. It'll be up that night. That'll be our grand finale episode, and it will be as long as it needs to be That's going, um, yep. to close out this old marketing with our with our uh, finale and work and wine and Tito's and all of those wonderful things, um, which we'll, of course, publish on the site on December uh, 16th. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so until then, my friend, um, we that is it for episode number 210. Um, and so for Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off of our regular episodes here. We would encourage you to subscribe, but that would just be a really stupid thing to do at this point. So don't subscribe. You don't need to leave us any more reviews unless you just want to go glow about how awesome we were um, and all of that. And uh, make sure that you, uh, you'll you get the show post. Of course, all the links that we talked about today in the news items will be available in the show as it goes to publish on Monday night. And of course, and it's all its replete Technicolor glory on the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturday. Um, and until, I guess, December 11th, folks, in our grand finale episode, what I would invite you to do is tell your story well. Well, we'll see you in December on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.